Yeah, I think there is something very profound in a bunch of people from different backgrounds who have different belief systems, different genders and sexualities coming together and just like focusing on the one thing they have in common, you know, and which is a joy of singing and singing in harmony. You're listening to An Actor and a Mic, an interview-style podcast focused on the often tumultuous yet spectacular journeys of Australian artists. In episode 26, I speak with Emma Dean. Emma Dean is currently a Brisbane-based artist focused primarily on musically-based performances. I'd comfortably say that she is more than a musician who stands up and sings because most certainly she brings a performance side into her artistry. We speak about her journey as a musician, her time in New York, her experiences here in Australia, her interest in cabarets, and why collaboration is such a fundamental part of her life. Also, she invites me to join her community choir, which was a bit of fun. (laughs) Uh, I should also mention that our connection cut out about three times. So I think there are two around the mid 20 min mark, and then one right, 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 right at the end. So... Uh, If the topic and us talking becomes a little weird, that's why. Other than that, you should probably be left to get into this one. Uh, I hope you enjoy my interview with Emma Dean, and I'll see you at the Midrock. Welcome to the 26th episode of An Actor and a Mic. In this episode, I get to speak with Emma Dean. So Emma Dean is a musician, songwriter, and performer. And Emma has performed both nationally and internationally in places like Germany, America, the UK, Costa Rica at some point, I believe. To date, she has now released over 10 independent albums, which is amazing. Emma has played the violin, mandolin, keyboards, piano. And I believe she also learned the organ piano at one point. Uh, as well as being a musician, Emma has quite a performative side. Uh, she's worked with Zen Zen Zo in their physical theatre, including their production of The Tempest. And she can often be found in cabaret-style productions. There was a musical at some point called Upside Down that she wrote alongside uh, Jacob Diefenbach. She was Medea in NIDA's production called The New Dead Medea's Material, in which she was also a songwriter. And I could just go on and on and on. Uh, one final thing, uh, Emma also leads a choir group in Brisbane called Cheap Trill, which I genuinely love the name of. That's such a cool name. Um, and that is why I am extremely excited to speak to Emma Dean today. How are you, Emma? Oh, hello, Griffith. I am good. I'm really good. Um, what can I say about today? I've just had another interview, so I feel like I'm warmed up. Oh, okay. And I'm really looking forward to talking with you. Oh, that's thank you very much. What was the what was the interview you did this morning? Ah, it was for a wonderful radio station called Four Triple Z. Yeah, on their queer radio show with Blair, who is just awesome. He's such a great interviewer. So yeah, so yeah, it's the morning of interviews. It seems. Yes. Well, thank you for <laughs> for having the energy to do this one as well. That's really nice. You you were actually you had a performance at the 
powerhouse on last weekend and that got no oh yes okay yes i i I see what you were gonna say then but because of covid restrictions it got (laughs) postponed so that's uh that's not this saturday but the next saturday uh saturday the 30th that is right yeah so we unfortunately had to postpone the show which yeah has has been tricky especially for people who of course can't make the new date Mm. but it does give us a little bit more time you know to rehearse and uh i'm really looking forward to it actually yeah how are you feeling about that show in general I'm feeling really good. I, I'm i a really nervous performer and I always have been. I'm not one of those people who just kind of, I don't know, can just rock up and, and, and perform without many nerves. Um, I get really, really anxious. And so it generally takes me about two weeks to really work myself up to a gig, especially if it's like a big well, gig, you know. Yeah. And... So I kind of had had reached that point where I was like working myself up and then, of course, it got postponed. So now mm. I'm back in that zone of like feeling super anxious and I'm like, oh, this is a bit of a roller coaster. But um, yeah. so apart from that, though, apart from that, I'm feeling great because it's a bit of a family band. Um, I perform with my brother, Tony, mm. uh, Tony Dean, and, and I've performed with him for many, many years. And his partner slash my very, very good friend, Katie Swan, and my partner, Lucas Clark. Um, yeah. So it's like this this little family unit. And then we're also being joined by the divine Monique Claire, who's a cellist, um, who, well, primarily a cellist. She plays other instruments, but she sings and plays at the same time. And I've been kind of fangirling <laughs> her for, for several years and um, just happened to say, hey, do you want to join us for a few songs? So I feel very excited to be collaborating with her for this gig as well. So it's an exciting, it's an exciting time. Yeah, it, that sounds like it genuinely. And it also sounds like it is a comfortable space considering it is a bit of a family band. Yeah, that is, really uh, that's, that's really, really cool. Um, I should also probably say that for this interview, I, uh, I have little to no musical knowledge whatsoever. So I'm just going to be pushing through and asking questions the best I can. But, uh, if I say anything that's uh, potentially a little ignorant, uh, don't don't mind that. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's great. Yeah, I'm I'm here to learn. I'm I'm genuinely very excited. Mm. Um, I'd like to sort of start back in your sort of childhood and and ask ask if you were always into the arts. I know you were an aspiring dancer at one point, and then you sort of went on to to do music. But mm. yeah, I guess were you always interested in the arts very yeah. early on? Yeah, I think I I really was. I was always creating little performances with my the, the neighborhood kids and like performing for mum and dad. And um, I I started dance at a very early age. So I was about two when I started learning ballet. Wow. Um, and but I was told uh, a few years later that my bum was too big to be a ballerina. How what? harsh is that? I know. And um, I actually really genuinely loved it too. Like I was a very passionate dancer. And so my mum moved me to kind of an, a bit of an alternative dance school. Um, yeah. so, I, so I did continue dancing, but it became clear that, you know, that world was not one that I wanted to kind of super duper focus on. Yeah. And so music was always a big part of my life. My dad 
uh, was one of the guys who started for MVS Classic FM, the radio station. Mm. And so I, I kind of grew up listening to him on the radio um, and trying to like talk to him through the speakers at home, <laughs> thinking that he could hear me in the, <laughs> in the well, studio. Yeah. Um, but so he was a, a classical music enthusiast and jazz, jazz music. And mm. um, so music was just always a, a huge part of my life. Right. And yeah, I kind of learned classical violin and piano from a young age and was always, it was, it was just, it was life. Right. I mean, that sounds amazing. Starting young is, um, is, is usually a good thing. And that's, that's, it helps you build up a skill set. And especially for how your career turned out, it, it allowed you almost straight after school to just start up your own bands and go from there. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask that if after school, did you did you go on to further education? I did. So I took a year off after school because I was very shy and very unsure of myself. So cool. I I knew that I wanted to to study music, mm. uh, but I perhaps lacked the self esteem component. So basically I spent a year working various jobs. So I worked in a bakery and I worked at a modeling agency and I worked at a sushi deli and I worked at a violin shop. And I, I did all of these jobs kind of to practice talking to people. Like I, I was really very painfully shy, which a lot of people find hard to believe these days, but yeah. it was a challenge for me. So, so I did that. And then at the end of that year, I had to make the decision whether or not I wanted to go on to study classical violin or something else. And back then, um, there weren't as many options for, I guess, singer songwriters or singers. Now there, there, you know, there's a, a myriad of, of different courses that you can study. But what I decided was to study a bachelor of music and jazz voice. Which was an interesting choice because I didn't really listen to a lot of jazz music. So I was kind of thrown into this, this brand new world and I learned so much. And so that's what I did. I, I studied at the Queensland Conservatorium of Music and yeah, had, a, had a, had a very interesting time there over the next kind of three and a half years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I, I wonder if, if outside of in your practices now, do you run into a lot of people, a lot of musicians that don't have tertiary education? Yeah. I mean, in the world that I am in, uh, definitely, I would say the majority of musicians or performers don't have the tertiary education um, or formal music training. And they're, you know, they play by ear, they're intuitive players, self taught. And yeah, and, and, and that's great. I think yeah. the thing, Especially as I get older, um, the thing that I realize is that we can all learn from each other. So it really doesn't matter. Like there are, there are you know, incredibly gifted, um, very sort of well-studied musicians who can learn so much from uh, self-taught buskers or um, people in covers bands who have not had that formal training um, and you know, everything in between. I just, that that's the beauty of music to me. I, I hate this idea that there's a hierarchy. So having said that, I, 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 
I, I am very grateful to have learnt music theory and I, I'm very mm. grateful to have learnt the things that I've learnt and they do serve me and they do um, make certain things much easier but but it, it's it's not a necessary component for for you know different different artists yeah right so it doesn't really feel like a, a necessity for for Australian musicians to have that sort of tertiary education no I mean I'd, I'd I definitely don't think it is a necessity. It depends on what you want to do, like anything, really. Yep, yep, yeah, right. Okay, that's um, mm. that's really interesting because yeah, I was I was wondering about whether having that, uh, like in a, in a lot of other sort of artistic occupa- occupations, it's it feels at times necessary to have that tertiary education, and and I wondered if a musician was was slightly different, and it sounds like it, which is yeah, it, it's very interesting. So you have been a member of many, many bands now. And, <laughs> and I wanted to, to ask you about sort of the frequency in which you move in and out of them. And, mm. and I, I wondered if moving from band to band usually follows different artistic ideals or, or something like that. Yeah. I'm just trying to think. I mean, I've been a part of other people's bands. So like I've been a part of like Kate Miller Heidke's band and I've traveled with an American artist, Jessica Hoop. And those, those sorts of gigs are mostly um, people kind of hiring me for a short amount of time. You know, I'm doing this tour. We need a violinist and backing vocalist. Are you available kind of thing? So, so th- there's that. Um, and they're not, they're obviously not my projects. Mm. Um, and I have to say, I love, 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 love being a backing vocalist. I love being in other people's bands. I love mm. the different skills required to, to, to be in the background supporting someone else. I get like a massive kick out of that. Sorry, my dog is just like walking around. Do not, do not eat that cord. Oh, so cute. I'll show you my dog. Hang on. Wait yes, a sec. please. Uh, my dog, his Aww. name is, his name is Charlie Dickens. <laughs> and he's a groodle. He's a giant groodle, but he's only one. Um, he's only anyway. one. He's huge. Yeah. He, he is absolutely enormous. So yeah. he's a bit fat at the moment. So we're trying to, he's on a bit of a diet. <laughs> Poor little guy. Anyway, oh. I, I digress. So, so yeah, I love, I love, I love that. But as for my own, I guess my own, my own bands, mm. I probably, I have a, I get bored very, very easily when it comes to music. I, I'm, mm. I'm quite diligent and I, you know, I, I, I work really hard and very dedicated. But when yep. it comes to like my creative exploration, I chop and change a little bit. For sure. Yeah, right. Okay. For sure. So under my project, I've had different bands, different lineups, mm. and that's just usually, you know, I choose people to join my band who are, I guess, interested in the same kind of music as me or who are who are part of my friendship circle or f- family circle. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, who are keen. And so that kind of changes and evolves. And then, and then along the way, I've formed different bands, um, or different duos. So I've been in a band called Bittersweet. And that was sort of my early, it was a duo and it was like jazz pop kind of 
and that was during my con day, so very jazz influenced because, mm. yep. of course, that's what I was studying. And then when that didn't become sort of relevant for us anymore, I, I went into more of a solo project, which was a little bit more theatrical and a yeah, little cool. bit more poppy, I would say, still um, slightly complex. Mm. And then I discovered this beautiful world of cabaret and theatre <laughs> and, and yep. I wanted to explore that. So then I kind of did more of a solo thing and instead of being in a band as such, I performed with a physical theatre Mm. troupe so uh, so that was really cool that was really fun and then I was in a duo called Geppetto which was electro fairy tale pop and that was with Jake Diffenbach um yep. and and yeah and then a few other and then I was in a band called Emma and the Hungry Truth which was a bit out there as well and now I'm yep. just me just doing doing what I do when I feel like it, which feels really, really good. And I think the next little body of work will be more guitar-based and and stripped back and a bit folky and and um, very different to what I've done before. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, so it is it is definitely an evolution and I, I tend to follow my, my instinct rather than be sort of married to one way Genre of expressing ideal. myself. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. I, I wanted to ask about sort of your your artistic style and and has it changed a lot since you were in the con really? Yeah, I I think it has. I think it's almost like I feel now that I'm returning to my pre-con days and my pre-con okay. sound, which was is is a little little bit less complicated, but I still yeah, and I, I guess I guess you know going to the con and doing a music course sometimes I've had to I feel like I've had to unlearn some of the things that I learned um in order to well I think I overcomplicated a lot of my music in the past which was driven by ego I think not that I knew that then but I think in in hindsight you know I kind of oh that's that was probably a bit a bit ego driven there and Mm. um you know and now I, I think I'm much more interested in the expression of a song and the truth behind it and 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 as a result my music is a little bit more simple yeah you know, right than it was you know it yeah but that might change again who knows yeah uh, that's yeah. really interesting that it's come full circle it it feels like that thing where where you are playing less complicated music and then you learn something that's incredibly complicated and very impressive and then mm. and then you follow that and then eventually it feels like at least in my practice it feels like eventually you get to a place where you appreciate the simplistic nature of it just a little bit more and yeah. instead of it being boring and simplistic and I'm not impressive it's kind of just it is it is what it is yeah yeah um, so so coming from obviously my limited uh, understanding of musicians in Australia, it it feels to me like being a musician can be a fairly fluid practice, and not not just in terms of locations and styles, but but even bands and and just your sort of artistic practice in general. And obviously, there's many reasons for that, like lack of job opportunities or yada yada yada. But I wanted to ask about your experience being an Australian musician and mm. and how you find Australian audiences 
responses to musicians sort of like do do you feel that australia has a supportive culture or one where we sort of take advantage of australian musicians oh that's a that's a really hard question i and and this is coming from you know i've i've lived in new york and um and and have traveled to other places to you know playing my music australia has such a rich um talent you know so, so many amazing musicians and artists come from australia i unfortunately don't think that is recognized i think there's a tendency to need to move elsewhere and be validated by another country mm. on an international stage you know before australians tend to take you seriously and that is something i hope changes yeah right. um so i you know in my 20s i felt like i needed to move to new york to be you know a valid like to be kind of taken seriously in my own country and that wow. and you know that i don't think that's i don't think that's a good thing yeah. that of course is going to have to change in the age of covid and mm. you know and i think that's one of the silver linings really to come out of this crazy horrible global pandemic that yeah. we have been forced to actually look inward and and recognize the talent that we already have here mm. that was one of the great things about brisfest i i performed mm. a show i wrote a, a show with Catherine lyle watson a wonderful playwright last year called hot mess mama mm. and it was part of brisfest and because brisfest wasn't you know a, able to fly in international acts or even interstate acts at that time, Brisbane artists got the stage <laughs> and it was the coolest thing. And I didn't hear one single patron um, complain about the quality of the work, of, of anyone's work. I, I just heard just celebration basically mm. about the Brisbane artists that were on show and that yeah. were featured and that made me so happy because it's so rare and even particularly in Brisbane like it's so rare that that happens mm. so that's one little piece of commentary i think you know on on the the state of the i guess australian industry that mm. you know to summarize we yeah we need to celebrate our ourselves more but one of the other things i guess that i've learnt is that in order to like in my teens and my early 20s, I thought, oh, great, I'm going to be a singer-songwriter. That's my trajectory. Cool. I'm going to do that. I'll work really hard. And eventually, if I'm good, it'll pay off. And it's like you get to your <laughs> mid-20s and you go, okay, I think I'm going to have to do something else here. And that's yeah. when you diversify and you and you figure out, you know, and some people will take other jobs that are completely unrelated to music. For me personally, what I did, you know, I started a, a community choir. I do workshops. I teach. I, you know, do all these different things. And I think when you're young, you're under this misconception that that means you're a failed performer. Uh, yeah. And it's like the 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 most. I mean, I was so wrong in thinking that it, it it's it's a necessary thing pretty much for everyone, even people who are really famous in this country, they're doing mm. other things, believe me, you know, that it's a really hard, it's a really hard path. It's a really mm. hard industry. So you've got to 
So learning different skills and really like getting excited by, by doing different things and, and learning from all of those different jobs and having like my choir really feeds into my singer songwriter performance work and vice versa. And it all kind of feeds into, to each other. And, um, and, and I, and I celebrate that now as I get Mm. older, it makes life really interesting. Yeah. So those are, yeah, two, two things I think that I've discovered about the industry and being a musician in Australia. Mm. Uh, To that, to that second point, uh, a lot of the guests I've discussed sort of job, uh, like careers and and lines with them and and workshops and education comes up a lot. Mm. And, and definitely to, to certain people, it feels like the our teaching is is a is a cop out if you can't do it then become a teacher kind of thing Mm. Um, which is just genuinely not true because there are some very very impressive artists that teach and and i feel the the validity in teaching is that when it comes to oh sorry you've just frozen i was talking about yes the um (laughs) (laughs) the validity of the education side is that yeah. it it feels like a chance to reflect as an artist mm. because because absolutely if you if if a student asks a question and you don't have an answer for that then that's instead of that being a chance to just be like oh, I'm not answering that yeah I've not it's it's a chance to be like I don't know let's maybe work through it and then mm. and I feel like you learn a lot from the questions asked and imposed on you in a in a classroom setting which is um totally and that that gives a validity so i don't think anyone should bag education as oh um, god no and i mean it it goes back to that idea of just always learning you know learning Mm. from your students and if your ego is okay with that (laughs) you know that you might be learning from someone younger and less experienced than you you know like (laughs) then it's actually such a gift and Mm. um yeah, I think it's great. And the other thing to acknowledge is that, you know, yes, there are some performers who are really, really great at teaching, but there are a lot of performers who are really, really shit at teaching, you know, really, really bad. Like it's a different skill. It's a completely different skill. And yes, you need the, the practical skills to back it, but it, to deliver and to impart knowledge is like a, it's another ball game. And then on the flip side, there are teachers who teach music or, or, or acting or whatever, who aren't actually the best performers themselves. Yeah. But that's okay as well because their gift is in teaching. And so it's just, yeah, it's, it's definitely, definitely not about, you know, being a failed performer. Yeah. Um, and, and you have to just resort to teaching. It's just a different thing. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree with all of that. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted to, to ask, so you certainly have received quite a lot of international attention. So, I mean. Oh, not really. Well, <laughs> okay, maybe not a lot, but you you received a, a, a bit. And so, I mean, in 2011, the New York Post named you one of the 10 artists to watch in mm. 2011. And, and at the time, had you traveled to New York then? Let me think. Yes, I had. I had. No, I hadn't. No, I, I traveled that year, that oh, year. Yeah. I see. So, so I think 
I, I realized when that happened, because uh, that was at, that was after releasing one of my albums in 2010, I think. And so then I, I thought, oh, I better, it seems like New York might be a place that I should explore. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I went there and I did a showcase and, um, and that was fantastic. Just did a few shows around town and then went back the following year and, and performed at the New York Fringe Festival, which was never do it, yeah. never oh. do oh. it. And okay. you can say that it was just actually horrible. And then I moved there in 2013. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So obviously it couldn't have been all bad considering you moved there. Yes, just I just would never <laughs> do the fringe again. Um, but no, it was great. It's an amazing city. I feel mm. terrible about what's happening there yes. now, of course. But um, um, I I did want to ask because I've I've haven't heard anything about it. I've heard stuff about the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and it being amazing and yada yada. But I've I haven't heard about the New York Fringe Festival. Well, and... there's a good reason for that, my friend. Okay, it's well, because it's. <laughs> okay, do, do you mind elaborating on that? <laughs> yes. Well, it was just very, very poorly run. We had to hire a local New York uh, woman, every act did, t- in order to, like, help us with admin, but really we didn't really need her and it was we didn't know her. It was just, like, this bizarre thing. We had to mm. hang our own lights so, like, you know, two musicians, <laughs> one of the lights fell, narrowly missing a, a, an actor from another show. It was just appalling. Like, we, we wrote an official complaint. Like, the whole thing was just absolutely terrible. But I think mm. it's pretty widely known that it is. But we didn't realise that at the time because they cleverly say their title is The New York International Fringe Festival. Uh, and as soon as you put international... People are like... I'm like oh, it's fancy. Ooh. It's fancy. <laughs> two, two young kids from Australia were oh, wow, we're part of this awesome oh my God, fringe yeah. festival, yeah. guys. We got in. Everyone gets in and it costs you a lot of money. So it's, yeah, mm. it's, it's just don't do it. Okay, but well. Edinburgh, on the other hand, oh, yeah. loved it. Yeah, that's the general consensus. <laughs> Brilliantly run. They've just got it down to a T. They just, it's just fantastic. Mm. Hard, but fantastic. Yeah. Have, have you been to any other fringe festivals like Adelaide? Or- yes, Adelaide was really great as well, but I've never performed in the sort of the Garden of Unearthly Delights or, um, yeah. is Gluttony one? Uh, is that, is that Adelaide or Edinburgh? I can't remember. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I've, I've performed in little, little venues and, and not for very long, like not long seasons. And I kind of feel like fringe festivals, you would, well, I want to be performing every night and, and yeah. sort of drumming up audience because it's so competitive. But yeah, that's fantastic. Adelaide Fringe Festival is so great. And yeah. what else have I done? I think I've done Adelaide Cabaret. Oh, I've done Adelaide Cabaret Festival. Oh, yeah. And Melbourne Cabaret Festival and a few other. Yeah. So there's a, some great festivals out there to be part of for sure. Hello and welcome to the mid-roll. How has everyone been? 
three weeks for releasing episodes certainly feels like a, a really, really long time. Um, I had my first week of uni uh, last week, uh, like many others. Uh, it certainly felt like my final year because my first 9am Monday class was martial arts. So that was a bit of a punch in the face. <laughs> Get it? See, see what I did there? Uh, no, um, no. <laughs> there, wasn't, there wasn't actually any, uh, any contact, which is probably for the best. And then on the Wednesday, I was cast as Oedipus in our uni production of Oedipus. Uh, and not to sound ungrateful for the role, but the casting was definitely bittersweet. So I had decided that I was going to focus on other classes and projects a little more and initially would have preferred a role like Creon's. So what this casting probably means is that I may have to scale back certain plans in favour of, you know, not overloading myself. Uh, however, having said that, uh, I'm very excited to bring my body to the role of Oedipus, who is another larger-than-life role, and, and see how I can ground myself in him. Uh, there are a lot of lines in some very, very old text. I believe we are doing Kenneth MacLeish's translation. I have right here, actually. Uh, yes, we are. Kenneth MacLeish's, uh, which, yes, takes a very literal interpretation of um, Oedipus, and um, it'll be really interesting to try and make that work as well. Uh, what else? Uh, I also downloaded Audible recently. Uh, so I decided, I decided to get it after listening to over 12,000 minutes of My Brother and My Brother and Me just last year alone, uh, which is a co comedy podcast hosted by three brothers. And I decided it may be more beneficial and efficient to use my constant driving time to instead listen to some books. So the one I'm currently listening to is The Lost Art of Listening by Michael Nichols, PhD, which I certainly recommend. It immediately changed my relationship with listening, uh, especially cementing the idea of being hurt by people's words and recognizing when someone is hurt by your own words and not taking it personally and sort of actively listening, funnily enough. Um, it, it really advocates for not listening and being an empathetic listener as sort of the root of a lot of, a lot of relationship-like problems. Uh, and it's definitely worthwhile. Um, yeah, I, I definitely recommend it. As for shoutouts, uh, considering this interview certainly concerns musicians, I thought it would be apt to shout out another Australian musician. So his name is Tom Thumb. Uh, I've been following Tom for a number of years. I think I first came across him when he did a TED talk way back when. Uh, basically, he's a, a vocalist beatboxer thing and uh, he just has such an amazing musical vocabulary, uh, I guess is how you would describe it. Also, you'll see a big part of Emma Dean's ethos is a passion for collaboration. So I found a video of Tom Thumb where in all his beatboxing glory, he is collaborating with the Queensland Symphony Orchestra. And it was a part of the Brisbane Festival a few years ago and it is just this phenomenal collaboration that you don't think could work and then it just works in such a spectacular way so if you're unfamiliar with tom i definitely would start there i'll, I'll put the link to that video in the show notes in toowoomba related news we have an 18 plus cabaret headed our way it's described as a cabaret cirque sensation so 
I believe more or less it's a cabaret in a circus setting. It probably also has circus elements to the performance. Uh, I actually found out about this show at my local IT repair shop of all places. So they did their advertising well. Anyway, uh, I'm looking forward to a show heading up the hill so I don't have to leave for Brisbane to have a night out uh, in sort of a theatrical setting. Uh, the Toowoomba season is from the 17th of March to the 28th of March, and tickets start from $52 all the way up to $247, uh, which is a package for two people that includes alcoholic drinks and, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, so, yeah, I'll be heading in on Thursday night, and I may see you there. Uh, that'll do us for the mid-roll. Uh, for some, uni starts this week. Best of luck getting back into it. For the rest of you that have already done a week, keep up the effort and hopefully the enthusiasm. I'll see you guys at the end. Bye. In in 2007, I believe you embarked to Berlin. Oh, yes. What was it like performing in a city where, like, English was the second language and uh, wasn't it just terrifying? Yes, it was a bit terrifying. I was also just so young and very clueless and oh, no. was sort of travelling with someone I didn't really know that well and I... Yeah, we, we did some great shows, which were a lot of fun, a lot of mm. fun. And I think I probably grew a lot as a person just purely because I survived the uh, experience. Um, oh. but, <laughs> but it was a bit wild. Like it was a bit, if I had my time over, I probably would have uh, done it differently. But, um, mm. but it was, it was amazing. And I mean, culturally, like what an, incredible place like rich in so much history and so much talent and I think what I found was the audiences were so appreciative of music that was a little bit different it wasn't oh. mainstream and that was so refreshing uh, I guess coming from Australia yeah so it was pretty spectacular I just um would do yeah, it differently I, and, I, and I will hopefully one day go back as a, a more mature human Yes, I see. Okay, that yeah. uh yeah, that it sounds like a lot. I, I was interested to to ask about that because I mean at the time you were still in your twenties too and, and mm. yeah, that well like twenty two, I think, like really young. Oh wow, okay. I didn't realise it was that young. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um well hats off to you for surviving and coming back. <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to your folks. No, it was yeah, it was great. I'd love to talk about Cheap Trill um, and sort of when that was conceived and and and, and what made you want to and has since kept you interested in running a community choir. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, thank you for asking. It's, it's probably, it's one of the best parts of my life, I think, running wow. a community choir. Um, mm. And it all came about when I was living in New York and... I was living with my then husband in like one room <laughs> and things weren't going to plan and it was really hard. And I think in hindsight, I realized I was actually very, very depressed. Like I was pretty, it was pretty bad. And I realized that either 
my life would yeah I you know I, I did I felt very very hopeless about the future so either my life was going to go down this really dark path I suppose or I do something that involved community that sort of that reignited the spark I guess I had for music and I was talking to a friend in the UK called Alice Flynn and she was she just happened to tell me one day on a conversation that we were having um in a conversation that we were having um that her friend started this choir or this singing group and I just remember my eyes kind of lit up and I thought that sounds really nice like after you know and just to put it into perspective like I'd been living in New York by day I was a kids entertainer and then by night I was performing on off-Broadway um with actually like the opening act for some of the RuPaul's Drag Race winners and wow and like and and but it was like a really hard like it was a lot of work and a lot of um feeling isolated and and like basically I, I wouldn't get paid for that those performances I would, wow. I would have to, to wait until the end of the show, the end of the headlining act show, which sometimes would end at 3 a.m. <laughs> and I'd stand at the door and just try to sell my CDs to people, you know? So like, uh, it was, it was this kind of, there, there was this sense of like, what am I doing? Like, what yeah. am I, this is like, I was almost 30 at that time. Yep. It's just like, is this what I, yeah. Anyway, so I, <laughs> when she said this thing about this music, this singing group, I just went, that sounds lovely. That sounds yeah. really nice. I need something like that. So I put a little post up on Facebook and just saying, Hey, is anybody, does anybody out there want to join a singing group or, you know, just in my parents' lounge room or something? I'm moving back to Australia because yep. I decided that I was coming back and the next day, because of this time difference, I had about 100 messages, comments, emails from people going, Emma, are you starting this group? I'm super in. Like, I love this idea. I want to sing. And wow. I just went, what? Okay, there's something <laughs> in this. Like, And this was before the boom of kind of, I don't know. It didn't feel like choirs were really a cool thing back then. And then, um, and so I came back. And we started on my friend's veranda. And so we had a, a Wednesday and a yeah. Thursday night. I think yeah. there were 20 people in each choir. And I just remember it was just the best feeling straight away. I just went, this is awesome. Mm. And um, it's grown now. And we have – now we're like a not-for-profit organization. Okay, cool. And there's three of us, three, I guess, managers. So Corinne Bazanjic, Tony Dean, my brother, mm. and myself. And we've got, well, in normal times pre-COVID, about 200 people in the choir. Oh, so, but we have to cap it. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's, we have a waiting list after that. So <laughs> people are just sort of hungry to sing and to connect. And, of course, during last year that became tremendously difficult. But we're slowly, slowly getting back into it just with more limited numbers. Is It, it sounds like, because at the time it, it – at the time of the conception, it feels like you were, as you said, very isolated. And was it was it something about just a bunch of people in a room singing as a as a group that just like reignited the spark for you to continue doing music in Australia? Yeah, I think 
there is something very profound in a bunch of people from different backgrounds who have different belief systems, different genders and sexualities coming together and just like focusing on the one, the one thing they have in common, Mm. you know, and which is a joy of singing and singing in harmony and, and coming from, I guess, this world where, you know, I was having really late nights and I didn't want to stay up doing drugs or drinking or like, that's not my style and schmoozing that what you know going from that kind of world to then this being on a bloody veranda in Everton Park and singing with a group of like kind of misfits like we we were all kind of misfits like people uh, what I've noticed about Cheap Trill over the years it's people who just are longing to find other misfits other weirdos like and, and I say that with so much love in my heart, like that, that's the thing I actually love about this group of people. Cause we're all kind of in our own little way at some point in our life, or maybe it's at the point where, you know, these people are reaching out to connect on the fringes of something. You know, mm. I felt like that when I started Cheap Trill. So I think that's just trickled into the, the community, you know, and so it's mm. this safe place where we all come and we're just totally ourselves and, and it's, yeah, you've got the weirdest people from like totally different walks of life who in the break get together and they're chatting away and they wouldn't normally, in normal life, they wouldn't probably have met, you know, and that brings me so much joy. So yes, it did reignite this spark, like where the stakes were low, the pressure, you know, we of course practice really hard and we want to be good, but mm. it's all actually all about just having fun and community and connection and men- wow. good positive mental health and all of those yummy things yeah. that I'd forgotten about, you know, when, when, yeah, I'd forgotten about those things. That sounds genuinely amazing. That's, well, you um, should join. Uh, I, okay. Here's a question. <laughs> Singing, singing wise, do you think most people can sing with enough practice? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I think we can all sing. If you've got a voice, you know, if you're <laughs> able to speak, yeah. then I think you can sing. But the other thing to, to note is that we don't have auditions or anything like that. You just, we ask that you're over 14 years of age. Are you over 14? I think so. Last time I checked, maybe. Good. Well, you're in. Um, and you don't have to, like, we've got people who have never sung before in their life. Wow. And then we've got people who are professional singers and everything in between. And it actually doesn't matter if you're singing out of tune or what, like, you know, it's, it's not, it's not about that. It's not about that stuff. Wow. I just got immediately anxious of the idea of singing in front of people, but that sounds, it sounds like you've created an environment where it's it allows people to face those anxieties yeah. and just oh god that sounds awesome because it, it, it not only do you have that idea of of opening up a space where people can i feel like singing in front of people is a fairly generic anxiety so you've found mm. a way to sort of mediate that problem and then you've also got as you said people from all sorts of walks of life it um it sounds like you made something very special <laughs> Oh, thank you. Well, I, I, I think I like to think that the people who are in Cheap Trill kind of make 
make it special, you know, mm. like it's not, yeah. it's definitely not just me. It's, it's just the, the, the group of us together. And with that and kind I, of mentality, that makes sense why it's uh, the way it is. That's awesome. <laughs> Yay. Well, it is, it is awesome. And I, I just, I absolutely love it. And I bloody can't wait to get back to it. Yeah. Ah! Yeah. yeah, of course. I, I mean, a sort of, sort of on that same idea of making spaces and, and supporting other people. I, um, I went through your YouTube channel and, and I watched a lot of your videos and, and it becomes very clear that not only do you create such astounding songs, but, but the productions that you've offered during those have created platforms for other voices and artists. Um, so thinking of like, uh, healed, healed of you contains this lovely dance section with yourself mm. and another person, and and say what you want is it's it's like a, a passionate, cheerful song around the LGBTQ community, and 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 sure you also perform solo, and 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 that seems to uh, like work for you. But then you have this massive interest in collabor in like collaborative art pieces. I mean cabaret musicals choirs obviously so so what is it about collaboration that is so important to you that's a really really good observation as well because i think a lot of people might not observe those things um yeah collaboration is probably the most important thing to me right um, when it comes to to creating i love i love songwriting by myself and you know mm. I love I love those solo moments and those quiet moments but I think what gives me the most joy is extending that to mm. other people and yeah. to uh, yeah it, it's yeah so like you mentioned the Hilda View music video um so I was working with beautiful dancer oh he's a physical theater performer yeah called Jamie Kendall and mm. also was working with an um, an amazing young man called Kyle Andrews who did the sign language on that music video. And so how yeah. that came about is actually uh, Dave Burton, who Dave <laughs> Burton is how we met. And Dave is – have you in, – you've interviewed Dave for this podcast, have you? Of yeah. course. So, yeah, so no your listeners <laughs> will know who Dave Burton is, beautiful, amazing writer, director, yeah. educator, and we were working on a show called The Power Within, which mm. was produced by and created by Queensland Music Festival, where we, a, a creative team, including myself, Dave Byrne, Nerida Waters, um, and a bunch of other people, went up to the Isaac Shire to various mining towns. Oh. And we worked with the locals. We worked with the community there. And we created this kind of outdoor extravaganza called The Power Within, which Dave wrote the <laughs> script for and directed, and it was fantastic. And yeah. one of these locals was a very, very, at that stage, very, very young boy called Kyle, mm. who was from a, a town called Claremont. Mm. And Claremont is a beautiful town, but it's very, very conservative and yeah. very religious. I see. And it's a mining town. <laughs> and he came, you know, he would run up to the gate when when we, we would arrive at their school with his beautiful rainbow over the shoulder bag and told us that he he actually came out on a full school assembly and and told wow. the school that he was he was gay yeah and this caused you know you can imagine like yeah a, a lot of a lot of 
um, uproar and yeah. Yeah, a lot of uproar. And um, what a brave thing for such a young person to do. Mm. Anyway, one of the things that he taught himself was sign language. He used American ASL, American Sign Language, and he just taught himself over YouTube. And this became his creative expression. Like, yeah. and, and he would, when you watch him do this sign language, it's almost like a, a dance with his mm. hands. He, it's so moving. So he was part of the show doing that. And I decided that I really, really wanted him to be in my music video. So yeah. we timed it. So he would be in Brisbane because he was seeing Kinky Boots. Nice. And so we, we timed the, the music video day for that. And he created, he, he performed my lyrics using that sign language on the music video, but the choreography was, um, was inspired by his wow. sign language. So when you, when you look at the video, you can see the sort of the parallels. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was beautiful to, and I paid him for that, you know, mm. and 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 kind of employed him to to be part of that, and that felt so good because he hadn't done anything like that before. It was just beautiful, and so then Jamie Kendall, um, it's always a joy to work with him. So yeah, I do, I do love, I do love collaboration, and I think hearing what other people have to say or how they interpret your work and allow like being open enough to allow that to like to to fuel the whatever it is you're creating it's so exciting to me that's mm. uh yeah that's that's amazing i i don't really have many words for that i think you said it all i think <laughs> that it's it sounds like to you that collaboration is just such a rewarding experience that why would you not do it like yeah. it feels like you can get so much out of it and and let's let's be real that it's so many other artists are all artists are equal to us and they have things to say as well so why not give them the chance to say it yeah that's, that's uh, right wow that's beautiful i'm i'm happy to ask the last question if if you're okay with that yes i'm okay with that perfect <laughs> um <laughs> so so i asked this question of of all my guests and it's just if you could give your younger self some advice, what would you say? I, well, I think I would say, well, firstly, there would be some sort of comment on my fashion choices um, <laughs> because seri I, I was looking at some old photos the other day and my jaw was on the floor. Some, some very bad choices were made. So I'd say something about that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'd also, and, and also just about like having a fringe before hair straighteners were invented <laughs> with curly hair, that there would be something about that as well. Um, but I think mostly I would tell my younger self that there's no rush. I think, you know, that I, I was always in such a rush to do this thing called, you know, make it. And that stupid term, like I've had to, you know, redefine significantly over the years and it means something completely different to me now. But, um, but yeah, just to slow down and smell the roses and just enjoy life mm. because I think there's a great emphasis, particularly in the music industry, that you have to be successful, mm. you know, whatever that means, by a really young age and particularly for women. Mm. And that idea 
thank God, is really changing. But it, yeah, it's um, it it's irrelevant, I think, particularly for the style of music that I'm creating, which I like to think, uh, you know, I like to think I have more to say the older I get. You know, it makes sense, yep. doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So so slow down, Emma, little Emma. Mm. Don't cut a fringe. <laughs> <laughs> And and just yeah, there's no rush. <laughs> yeah, I I love that. I, it feels like a lot of younger artists are absolutely ambitious, but it feels like the ambition's coming from a place of anxiety, and it mm. feels like it's coming from a place of of needing to fill something that you don't quite know how to fill, and oh. so you think, okay, so I'll uh, I'll I'll just become successful, and then all my problems will be solved. Yeah. And, it's it's starting to sound like that's not the that's not the truth. <laughs> yeah, it's really not the truth. It's and and it also it just relies so heavily on external forces. You know, mm. like I think when I was younger, I just relied so much on you know someone else discovering me or something. <laughs> you know, and it's yeah, like yeah. Emma, you need to just discover yourself, honey, and and like <laughs> just figure out what you what you're into and what 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 makes you tick and like what makes you happy and yeah and do that instead of like waiting for someone else to tell you what that is yeah um you know i was i was teaching not teach i wasn't de- sorry i was performing at a show <laughs> the other day and part of the show uh featured students who were ages 13 to ages 18 and these kids were backstage saying to me, basically in a panic, saying, you know, the most streamed song was written by a 17-year-old and I'm 18 <gasps> and, like, time is running out and, like, oh, my God, I'm almost 19. <gasps> you know, and, like, I was just yep. like, okay, Whoa. Whoa. breathe, <laughs> breathe. It's okay, please. Like, you have so much time. What were we saying? What well, was... we were talking about how people compare themselves to, yeah. to other artists and it's like, yeah, but he's 22 and I'm 21 and I'm nowhere yeah. near. And it's it, like, just, it, it make it, like technology has made it so accessible to compare yourself to, to others. Yeah. And, and you, you really can't. Like that will just send you places that then they're not you and you just have yeah. to be you, right? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, it has been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. You too, Griffin. Thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of it. What a genuine and loving person. That was my interview with Emma Dean, and I definitely enjoyed this one. And I also think we touched on some very important points for the Australian industry, as well as Emma's worldview. Uh, Emma was an incredibly open and vulnerable interviewee, and I think it shows. Uh, I wish her all the best, and I'll be sure to let you guys know of any of her upcoming shows if I see them. Uh, as always, if you'd like to get in touch with the podcast, then send an email to an actor and a mic at gmail.com or swing a message to the Facebook page. Also, if you're a listener of the podcast and haven't liked the Facebook page, go and show it some love. Also, maybe tell a fellow or aspiring artist about the show. I don't pay for advertising, so the only way people find out about it is if they hear about it from a friend. Next episode, in number 27, 
I speak to a radio host based in Brisbane, and that was a hell of an interview, and you should definitely be looking forward to it. Until then, keep making art and being spectacular. Spectacular.